Hi everyone, welcome to Borderless Sustainability, where we explore the diverse relationship between people, planet, and profit, discover how language, geography, and culture impact sustainability, and ultimately aim to create change through knowledge. My name is Miguel Fraga. And my name is Alisa Rivera. In today's episode, we will learn about natural Christmas trees and their impact in the environment the process of growing and selling Christmas trees, some of the benefits of purchasing natural Christmas trees, and of course, several recycling options for your tree once the holiday season is over. We hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did recording it. Amanda Werner is a third-generation tree farmer in Middlebury, Vermont. Her family farm produces Christmas trees, maple syrup, and honey. Werner Tree Farm practices several sustainability projects, including silva pasture, on-farm composting, and diverse forest stand management. Amanda obtained her Bachelor's of Arts in History at Skidmore College, where she also studied business and environmental studies. Amanda believes farms work best when they improve environments and communities. So welcome, Amanda. Thank you so much for being with us right now. We're, we, we're so excited we're having you here and learning more about Christmas trees. So thank you so much for your time. It's so nice to be here with you, Alisa and Miguel. I'm excited to do this, and I like talking about Christmas trees, so <laughs> perfect. I'm ready. <laughs> perfect, and we like talking about sustainability, so that's the perfect combination right now. So right before we start talking about and diving in on Christmas trees, we want to learn more uh, about you, right? Because um, you're a part of this family, uh, this family business that does Christmas trees, and we know that growing a Christmas tree is not something that just takes two or three years, right? It's a whole business. So Amanda, what made you start become more environmental conscious? Was it the family business? Was something, when, how? Can you tell us more about that? I do think that the family business had a large role in that. Um, unlike a lot of people, I think I just grew up being aware of the environment and the climate and how it affects you and how it affects the crops, the Christmas trees in this case. So from a very early age, I knew the effects of drought I knew the effects of diseases coming in. And so I knew that to keep the business going, we have to take care of the land. Um, another thing that I think had a big impact on me early on, and you're going to find this one a little bit weird when you take into mind that my business cuts trees down every year was the Lorax, which I know is all about like, don't cut down the trees. Right. <laughs> But it's also arguable about like sustainable harvests. I think for a lot of people who live here, we do have this culture of taking care of our towns, of our forests, of our roadsides and all of that. So I, I didn't, it wasn't something that I came to. It was just something that I grew up with. Wow. Wow. Wonderful. That's, that sounds, sounds amazing. And, you know, we, we were, at least and I we were researching because we were thinking more about um, the sustainability in the holiday season And, and for you, maybe very um, natural and common sense. But for us, we're like, we, we weren't sure. Like, like you said, only cutting three is like, we uh, automatically assume it's bad for the environment, right? Because we always have people saying that. So, and we, we learn about that 10 million artificial trees are purchased each season. And we had this internal debate, <laughs> whether like, oh, are fake Christmas trees more sustainable? Because I mean, they're supposed to be reusable, they're plastic. And, and I, I thought we, we, it was such an amazing um, um, topic to talk about. And you were just the perfect person to talk about this. So, yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much for, for being here. 
Definitely. And I, I can agree with Miguel, you know, um, when we when we saw that fact, you know, the 10 million artificial trees that are being purchased e each season. I mean, that's that's a lot of trees. And I can say myself, like I do have a plastic tree, unfortunately. Um, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to pick on you for that. Yeah, I, I would love to say, you know, that I, I'm purchasing a tree each year. Now that I you know, know, know it's better for the environment, I definitely will be doing that. Um, but, you know, for the at least past 20 years, my parents have had um, the same tree. And um, I mean, I, I, I think it's it's not the best. I, I've seen other trees that are natural and um, I think they smell better. They look better. And um, when I'm looking at them in other people's homes, the question that comes to mind is, so how are how is the process of growing and selling these Christmas trees look like? Yeah, so. It's about different species take different amounts of time to grow. Where I am, the species that I grow, it's about an eight to 10 year cycle from when I plant the tree to when it's ready for harvest. Um, we plant in spring, which for us is going to be about May when the ground's unfrozen and we can dig holes. We do it the old fashioned way with a shovel and we're putting in about 2000 trees a year, some years a little bit more. So it takes a little while to do that. And after that, when all the babies are in the ground, we have a little break. We do hand, it's called shearing the trees, which is when you shape them. We have a long thin knife that's kind of like a machete and you walk around the tree and you swing the shearing knife and it knocks off the tips to shape the tree into that cone shape that people picture because they don't just grow like that. So we do that to limit the growth on the trees. So they grow in that shape and to keep them a little bit shorter than they'd be naturally, which makes them denser. And that takes about three to five minutes per tree. And we probably have about 25,000 trees. So that's also a good chunk of time. Yeah. And then the next big thing is tree harvest and then opening the farm up so people who want to can come and cut their own. And people who don't, we've cut some of the trees already so they can pick up one that's pretty cut. But I think a lot of people like the experience of going out in the fields and cutting their own and playing at lumberjack for a day <laughs> or lumberjail. That's so cute. So 25,000 trees and these trees, uh, how long approximately do you have to, you know, keep them there in your farm? Like what, what does it, what's the time span on each tree or like, how does it vary? So you're asking how, like how many, years that they're there yes um yeah okay so those the trees we are getting them in we buy in transplants okay they'll come in about a foot tall and they're already three or four years old okay mm. okay and then when we plant them they'll be in the field for another eight to ten years wow okay so the twenty five thousand that you have they're not all the same age they're no it's all ages. kinds of ages Wow. Yeah. Okay. And typically, do you see people going for the older ones, younger ones, or just mixed? Typically the older ones, but th I think that's because we charge the same amount. So they'd rather get a bigger tree versus spending <laughs> right. 50, about $50 to get like a three foot tree. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and is cutting down trees always bad for the environment? Um, I know you mentioned the word. I feel like, <laughs> yeah, so I'm somebody who cuts down, 
who helps people cut down trees and cuts down trees for a living. So I feel like you already know I'm going to say, no, it's not always bad. Um, obviously, there's circumstances where cutting trees down is bad. I think probably most of your listeners will be familiar with deforestation in the Amazon, for example, where I think we can all agree that the rate that the trees are cutting down, getting cut down there isn't good and that that's something that shouldn't be happening. On the tree farm, I think there's a couple things to keep in mind. And one of them is that this is a crop. And without the farms, these trees wouldn't exist. So because of this industry, there's about, according to the National Christmas Tree Association, 350 million more trees in the U.S. than there would be otherwise. Granted, they're not going to live as long. But while they're there, they're producing oxygen. They're filtering water. They're providing habitat for wildlife. And then younger forests also are better at taking up carbon than mature forests. So these young managed forests are going to be removing carbon from the atmosphere at a faster rate than a mature hardwood forest, for instance. The trees, even if you, I don't, if you burned the entire tree when you're done and it releases all of its carbon back into the atmosphere, it's still a carbon neutral option because it's only releasing that carbon that it's already removed from the air. And if you can integrate that carbon into the land somehow so that it's not going back in the atmosphere, it's a net benefit for the environment. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> wow. I, I mean, I, I don't know about you, Lisa, but while you were um, saying that, all that, Amanda, I was thinking like I was in your farm looking at the trees. <laughs> I, I felt <laughs> like I was over there like, wow, this Christmas tree is such a good thing for the environment. But now, now that we're talking a little bit more about the... Uh, about the Christmas trees and the inventory. I'm very curious about how do you guys plan for demand? Like, do you always guys expect like the same people um, buy the same amount of Christmas trees? Like, do you always like each year, let's say you sell um, X amount of trees. How do you plan? Like, since it takes up to 10 years, like how do you plan? We're terrible at it. <laughs> do, do you always have like shortages or use oversell? Yes, <laughs> yes there's shortages. We <sighs> currently can't keep up with the This year, especially, so many people wanted to get a real tree. And I mean, the last four or five years, we haven't been able to keep up with demand. So we have to, we close before Christmas because we're just, this is the part that's really hard for people because they can look out in the field and they can see there's trees there and they want to know why they can't go out and cut one. And the answer is because that's for next year. Um... We know that we can harvest off currently about a thousand trees from our land a year with we've planned for it to expand but because it takes eight to ten years once you realize that you're behind it takes a little while to catch up wow so i i want to go to a farm but no I mean, we're not good at planning is the answer <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, I, and i'm assuming you guys have of course like limitations right because of land limitations you cannot just plant like all right. the trees you want at the moment because if it would erode the soil or you have to be are very conscious about that so wow I mean I'm, I'm so glad you have shortages I don't know because I'm not very familiar with having Christmas trees so I'm like <laughs> I don't know if you guys oversell undersell that's that's very good to know now that 
now that I know more about the, the tree farm, as I was learning more about what you guys do, and I was looking at your website, um, you have, you guys not only do, of course, tree farm, uh, Christmas trees, you guys do more because um, there's different integrations for that. Can you tell us more about how you integrating, integrating your farm, the civil pasture on farm composting and the diverse forest stand management? Especially, I mean, first, what is all of that? <laughs> what does it exactly mean? Right. I mean, <laughs> how do you, what, what, what do you see? I mean, I learned, I, I researched a little bit about that, but it's hard for me. I'm more of a visual guy. So I need to like visualize it more like on your experiences. Okay. I'll do my best to try to paint <laughs> a picture for you then. So silvopasture is when you, the goal is to kind of create a little micro ecosystem on the farm. Mm-hmm. So we're emulating a biome that might occur in the wild. And to do that, what we're doing is we have a specific breed of sheep called a Shropshire sheep. And I actually learned about them by connecting with Christmas tree farmers in Europe, mainly in Germany and England, who were grazing Shropshire sheep in their Christmas trees. And originally I was worried about it. So I was like, oh, aren't the sheep gonna eat the trees? Cause that's like what sheep and goats do, right? They eat green things. Mm-hmm. But the Shropshire is supposed to be a super fussy eater. And because they're so picky, they don't like the Christmas trees because they're a little bit tougher than grass and clover and other things that grow on the ground. So what we do is the sheep go out into a pasture in the Christmas trees and they eat the grass and the weeds that are in between them, which is important for the health of the trees because if you have too much grass coming up around them, then it keeps moisture close to the needles, which can spread viruses, bacteria, other kind of pests easily. Wow. So the sheep eat the grass out. And also as they're doing this, they're going along and they're pooping. They're <laughs> leaving compost on the, I mean, it's not compost yet, but they're putting nutrients back into the soil as they go. So you get that as a benefit also. So you graze them for like three, four days, And then you have to move them to the next section because if you leave them too long, then they might start to look at the Christmas trees and go, Oh, that's starting to look kind of tasty. (laughs) But so far they've only ruined, we've done two years with the sheep. Now we'll be going into the third and they've only ruined like three or four trees, which really isn't that bad. And that was more because they wanted to sleep under them than they wanted to eat them. (laughs) They're also really cute. I will need to (laughs) Google a picture of those sheep. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. I mean, sheep that eat tree, that's so cute. And I was going to ask you, Amanda, um, so about how many acres of land um, is this, is the farm on, more or less? Yeah, so the farm is on about 35 acres. And then we lease another 10 acres that are up in the mountains that are close to us, which gives us some advantages of the more spread out just like if you have more than one species on the farm, you have a more resilient farm by having kind of two different microclimates for the farm. Okay. We're making the farm more resilient. So if there's a really hard frost late in spring, the mountain trees might not have budded out, which is, that's when the trees send out their new growth for the year. And it's pretty tender early on. And if a frost hits it, it's going to kill it and the tree won't grow that year. I see. And so the land, you know, that it's, these trees are on it varies from being mount like bumpy um it's not flat completely it's, it's not flat no okay. it's fairly slopey there's 
a pretty good valley that runs through a part of the farm that has a stream at the bottom of it. And the whole valley sloped down. We don't, we just leave that wild. It's good for water quality. It's good for wildlife. It wouldn't be very fun to try to farm on because it's deep. So may as well leave it wild. And that is one question that I had. Um, How do you water them? Like you just rely on nature and the rain patterns or do you have a system to water them? Yes. So most of the time we just leave it to nature. We're lucky here in that we have fairly reliable rain patterns. Although the last five, six years, it hasn't been as great. And I'm sure as the climate gets more difficult, we'll continue to see more erratic and extreme weather patterns and we'll have to adjust to that. This last year, we had a pretty good drought. And so I spent a lot of time with a hose in my hand, running water on baby trees, trying to save them. And it was brutal. They just didn't make it. But (laughs) that's part of farming. Sometimes things just don't make it. And now that you're talking about part of farming, I know that the Werner Tree Farm has been uh, historically, it's the third generation, right? I was hoping to hear a little bit more about, um, you know, the the farm, like the business in, in general, uh, from your perspective. How did this all take place? How did it come about since the beginning? So my grandfather, Fred Werner, he really loved trees and he really loved to plant trees and he would just buy them and plant them wherever he could. And so I think around 1980, he bought 13, it's called a scotch pine. It's a type of pine that was pretty popular as a Christmas tree then. So he bought 13 of them and gave them to my parents. And it was just like, here, have these, grow them, have fun with them. And my parents were like, well, we could try growing Christmas trees, I guess. And so early on, grandpa and my mom and dad worked on them. And I think they sold their first crop in 1986, which was not very many trees. It seems like it was, I don't know, maybe... 12 of them, maybe the first 13. And now we'll do about 1200 in a year. I know that was a big time jump there. So I grew up on the farm with my sister and my brother. And we just, it was just part of our lives. Take care of the trees in summer, sell them in winter. In my senior year of high school, I actually was skipping school. Some in December to work on the farm. Don't tell my teachers, sorry guys. (laughs) (laughs) I would get my dad to write my mom was the teacher at the high school. So I'd get my dad to write a note for me saying that I was sick and couldn't come in and that I'd stay home and help him on the farm. (laughs) Yeah. And I went to college. I, I knew that I didn't want to have an office job. I knew I didn't want to do something like that, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I did different summer jobs for a while, but I always was coming back in December and doing the sales season with my parents. And it just became clearer and clearer to me that I really love trees too. And I really like working with them. And I couldn't imagine letting the farm stop. So it's like, well, I guess the only thing to do is to take the farm over, which I haven't done yet, but <laughs> I'm working on it. That's awesome. Currently I work with my parents on the farm. <laughs> um, and I mean, I know we've touched about it a little bit already, but um, I guess to to pinpoint some things, what are the benefits of natural Christmas trees that you can think of that you would say to anyone walking into your store? Yeah, okay. So um, I think for the consumer, 
one of the major benefits is the smell of the real tree. And, you know, it's going to smell better than your plastic tree. Mm-hmm. It's also going to look better than your plastic tree. Let's be serious. Um, True. <laughs> there's <laughs> psychological benefits of having something that's green and alive in your house. I don't have studies to cite here. I'm sorry, but I've read it numerous times. I think it's fairly well accepted that having plants inside is good for people's mental health. And I don't think our brains are differentiating between whether it's a potted house plant or whether it's a Christmas tree that's in a bucket of water. So it's going to, especially for us, at least it gets dark this time of year and we need a little psychological lift. (laughs) And so I think that's helpful. People also get the experience of coming to the farm And for anybody who's ever wanted to have a little bit of a Hallmark experience, if you've watched any Hallmark movie, you know they go to a Christmas tree farm in every single one of them. But it's just a fun family outing for people, I think. Uh, For the planet, like I said, it's about 350 million trees that wouldn't exist in the U.S. otherwise. More than that, if you look worldwide, they turn carbon dioxide into oxygen they're providing wildlife habitat. They're improving water quality while they're in the ground. And for me, it keeps me employed and doing something that I love. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Those are great reasons. And I'm switching, converting. <laughs> well, yeah. you already have one. So actually, because you already have the plastic tree, it's better for the planet if you keep using it. That's I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> but whenever I have my own house, my... I'll be closer. I'll be in Maryland. So I feel like at that point, there's no excuses. Oh, I'm only like nine hours from Maryland. So once you're there, you should come up and get a tree. 100%. Oh my <laughs> God. I'm, I'm so envious of you, Elisa. Like I'm going to, well, so, as far as I know, I'm going to stay here in El Paso, Texas. So it's right so far from there. But um, I'm so, I'm, I'm getting mad, Amanda, right now that it's January and I want to like get a Christmas tree, but it's like 11 months now till Christmas, <laughs> a real Christmas tree. But um, well, as you were talking about that, you, you raised, I was, you raised an important question for me saying like, here, of course, we live in the desert. We don't have Christmas tree farms. They don't grow naturally <laughs> here. They're not intended to grow here naturally, but a lot of people get them. So how does that work? Does your farm also export trees or is it more intended for local or how does how, how can someone like us in the middle of the desert get a natural Christmas tree that does not grow here? Can you tell us more about that um, supply chain? Yeah, so my farm at this point is entirely retail sales. When I was a kid, we did wholesale trees. And how that works is a large number of trees is cut down at once and then they're put into a shipping container on a truck on a ship they're sent down to the area where they're going to be sold and then they're opened up and put for sale in, you know i don't know a big chain store parking lot where do they sell them where would you go to get one if you're looking for one i've seen the parking lots here at least i don't know about you but i've seen them in parking lots like in walmart and places like that which okay. it's not like a hallmark experience that i want to have at least once in my life to go up tree farm that's snowing that would be so so wonderful and- i would guess that most of yours are coming from oregon or washington but it's mm-hmm. possible they're coming in from north carolina and michigan also those are all really big 
Christmas tree growing states. Interesting. Okay. And also, Elisa and I, we were researching more about the Christmas trees, and we found out that for every tree purchase, a natural Christmas tree, farmers plant one to three seedlings in its place, according to this um, association. Is that true? I mean, is it meaning that it's always like growing and growing number of Christmas trees being planted? So this one's a little tricky. I would say, yes, it's probably true, but it's also misleading. Okay. So remember I said that I had a lot of trees die this last summer because there was a drought. Mm. So with any crop, you expect to have a certain number of losses. And so you're going to plant more than you expect to harvest. That's part of the explanation. The other thing is, I believe it's a growing industry. It, I Also, once again, I said I can't keep up with demand currently, so I'm planting more trees expecting a bigger harvest in 10 years than I'm expecting now. So yes, I think that I'm probably planting three trees for every tree harvested in hopes that I get two for everyone harvested. Oh. And that's because I'm expecting to maybe be selling that many more 10 years from now. I see. And if not, and I guess wrong, I'm gonna have a lot of Christmas trees. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and on that note, um, what are some Christmas tree recycling options that there, that is, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this is really important because to keep it as an environmentally sustainable option for people, it's very, very important that the tree doesn't go in the landfill. And here in Vermont, it's actually illegal to put your tree in the landfill. We have a, yeah, we have a statewide composting mandate. And so things that can be composted have to be composted. Christmas trees don't quite fall under that. It's a different rule, but you can't put a Christmas tree in the landfill. It has to be disposed of some other way. Uh, we have a lot of town-wide tree mulching programs. And so in my town, there's a weekend, it was last weekend here, where you put your tree out by the road. Volunteers come and pick the tree up, bring it to the town dump. It gets chipped into mulch, and then people have free mulch available that they can pick up in spring. So that one, when I was thinking about that, it actually really made me think of the Smarter Cities episode that you guys did with Sarah Ponce de Leon and mm -hmm. how she was talking about how you need smart systems to help people make good environmental choices. Because I don't know if you guys have, Miguel, or at least I don't know if you have options for like putting your tree out and having a townwide system or a citywide system that makes it easy for you to not put it in the landfill. I know... Yeah, I know they have a program, but as far as I know, it goes to the landfill. I, I, I don't think it's, uh, it's um, like they make mulch. I know they, they, there are places where you can take it to mulch, but it's not very um, um, marketed to everyone. It's, it's not widely available to all of us. And mainly because I, it's not very popular here. And recently, I remember uh, um, my aunt, she, she um, usually always gets one every Christmas. She told me that this year, we don't know if it's because of the um, health crisis, the pandemic and all of that, she couldn't find a natural Christmas trees. I think she, they were not selling them around here a lot as they used to be in last year's. But I do know they just launched, they launched a campaign saying like, oh, bring your Christmas tree to this collection station. And that's it. As far as I know what happens after that, I'm unsure. I think it's landfill, but, it, but I could be wrong. I'll, I'll, I'll research hmm. into it, but I'm pretty sure it's landfill. Yeah, I do know that some places people will 
there's other things that you can do that are sustainable ways to recycle them. I know there's places where they will sink them into ponds, which is supposed to create habitat for, and food for fish. I know that there's places where people use Christmas trees to protect sand dunes. And I'm, I don't know enough about sand dunes to know exactly what's going on there, but they're supposed to stabilize them. Um, you can you know, turn them into firewood for your campfire. I wouldn't burn one inside the house because they're so pitchy, but it can make a cute little campfire. And if you're going to do a campfire anyways, you may as well use the wood that you have on hand. I think I would love to sink mine in a pond. I think that's- Yeah, doesn't that sound cool? <laughs> Just, I sounds, don't know. Like, sounds like a Viking funeral. <laughs> like you just yeah, let exactly. it float and then you burn it and it goes down. <laughs> Goodbye, Christmas tree. <laughs> and, and I also saw an article talking about the recycling options for Christmas trees that um, you should, after, once you're done with it, just put it in your backyard on your patio or, or wherever you feel more comfortable near home for wildlife outside. Like, because we just have yeah. it inside, just put it out there, especially because like mating season is coming, like February, March, you can um, encourage your wildlife to have their nest in there. So I, I, I think I saw that, that one as an option as well, just a little bit um, dry. I know here it would be good because we, I know a lot of desert animals here, they like to um, live on dry trees. I'm sorry, on dry trees mm. here on the desert. That's where they burrow their homes or they like to do the habitats because um, it's hollow, but it's shelter at the same time. But I, I, I don't know if you've heard oh, that that's... before. I, I, I read that. Yeah, I have heard of that. It's really interesting. I've never thought of it in the context of a desert climate before, just because I haven't lived in a desert before, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, that is something I've heard of that you can, obviously you can, trees fall down in the wild all the time, break down into the soil, provide habitat while they're breaking down. Animals that normally couldn't reach them to nibble on them can then nibble on them. So if you have the land to do that, I think that's a great option and it's the easiest one. Yeah. You can just pull the tree out of the house and toss it out somewhere where it's not going to bother you. Wonderful. It's like littering, but good. <laughs> I know, like good littering. That's, yeah, uh, that's, yeah, yeah, absolutely agree with you. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Amanda. The time has been flying so so fast right, right now talking to you. So wrapping up right now our conversation, we ask all of our interviewees the same question, and we are very interested to know about your thoughts and your perspective on this question because we love our listeners. I've, I've, I've learned of some of them, at least I don't know about you, that they told me that they like this the book recommendations they give during the podcast, especially me. I, I like to read a lot. And and um, um, I have this wish list with my fiance on Amazon. And whenever I listen to one or when they say one, I always put th that one, the wish list. <laughs> like we use it for us. Like we, if we don't know what to give each other, we just put there the wish list. So I, she's been seeing recently, like if you see in the list, like you can see like 10 um, books, sustainability, and like I need to read those and I don't want to forget them. So, <laughs> so Amanda, wrapping up, what sustainability related book would you recommend to our listeners? So I think I'm going to give you two here because I don't want you to run out of books on your reading list. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so for a more factual based one, I really like Collapse by Jared Diamond. Mm -hmm. I think he does a very good job exploring how different civilizations, different cultures have ruined themselves by not taking care of their natural environments 
and he points to different areas where I guess it's easier for civilizations to just ex- overexploit their environments and then take down their own civilization through doing that. So it's a really interesting book. It's a very easy read. It's one that I recommend to people when they're interested in environmentalism, when they're interested in civilization. I'm a history geek, so it's right up my alley. The second book is a little bit bleaker. I don't know if you've read The Road by Cormac McCarthy. No. The Road? Familiar. Okay. There was also a movie with Viggo Mortensen. I haven't seen the movie. The book was really, really depressing. It takes place after there's been some kind of great environmental catastrophe. And it's just like people trying to live in this world that doesn't work anymore. And I'm going to tell the last paragraph is what really did it for me. Mm. I can talk about it without giving anything away. I promise. It's just about the beauty of brook trout and how incredibly complex and gorgeous the natural world is and how, when there's things that go away, when we lose a species, for instance, we don't get it back. So I think that one's really great just to, remind people what an incredible place we live in and how important it is to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautifully said, Amanda. Thank you for that recommendation. Um, I'll definitely take a look at it. I wanted to just say it's been a pleasure getting to talk to you and interviewing you. And I hope to one day see you um, at your farm when I'm up in Maryland. <laughs> that um, would be wonderful. I would love that. <laughs> almost, It's almost a promise. I just need a couple more years to get there. <laughs> Um, but to finish off here, where can our listeners find more about um, your your farm, the Werner Tree Farm, um, you know, social media or anything you'd like to share with us here? Yeah, so we have a website, which is wernertreefarm.com. It's W-E-R-N-E-R treefarm.com. We're also on Instagram and on Facebook, just as backslash Werner Tree Farm. And I'm on TikTok, but it's brand new. So I don't know if it's worth going there yet. There's only one video up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Is it a funny video or just a... <laughs> I, no, it's not really funny. It's just like snow in Vermont with little animals in it. Because my 21-year-old coworker told me that's what I should post. So I listened to her. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. That was Werner Tree dot com right just warner tree farm dot com all right perfect sounds good then amanda well once again it was a pleasure and we hope to be in contact soon eventually <laughs>